I've got a good word for you this morning. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. I want you to stand to your feet, and I want you to open your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. It's, uh, if you don't know where that is, just find the book of 1 Timothy and go a little bit to the right, and you'll find it. 2 Timothy. That was a joke. It's, uh, it's right towards the end of the Bible. You just find the book of Revelation and go to the left a little bit, and you'll find 2 Timothy. Or I guess most of you use your phones anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 2. I'm trying to roll with this twos theme, right? Today's 2, 2, 2020, right? And so we're going to go 2 Timothy 2, 2. But this very well fits. This morning we're beginning a new series called Disciple. Everybody say Disciple. And we're going to talk about the Jesus model of discipleship. This is coming out of years of study, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very, very excited. Look at this, 2 Timothy 2, 2. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to one of his disciples, Timothy, and he says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know what this is, church? In this one passage, the Apostle Paul is laying out the method by which he discipled and will reproduce leaders and others. I want you to catch this. If you look at the verse, he says, what you've received from me. Who's talking? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Everybody say the Apostle Paul. And who's he talking to? He's talking to Timothy. So now we're dealing with a spiritual father speaking into a spiritual son. Timothy, what you have heard from me. Commit to other faithful men who will be able to teach others. Are you catching this? So what you hear from me, teach others, and then they will teach others, and then they will teach others. He's talking about a four-generation succession plan through discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. Let's pray that the Lord would speak to us and give us uh, his insight and revelation on this in this moment right now. Jesus, we just do. We thank you. You were a discipler. And God, even we today have the opportunity not only to be your disciples, but to be disciple makers. And I pray, Jesus, that you would speak to us, that you would change our lives, that you would challenge our mindset, mighty God, and that you would move us into a realm of making disciples and being disciples and, and living as you did here on the earth, Jesus. So I ask you to help us. I ask that an anointing would come upon me, mighty God, that with authority and under the unction of your Holy Spirit, I would preach as I ought to. God, anoint the listener, everybody within the sound of my voice in this house, those joining us online by podcast, however they may be, anoint us to hear what your Spirit is speaking today. Lord, we ask your hand over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I did a lot of math this last week, and I'm going to encourage you in the world of discipleship using math. Hallelujah. Uh, let me give you the first math equation. Do you know that today there are 7.7 billion people on the face of the earth? Praise God. 7.7. We're rapidly approaching the 8 billion mark, which is mind-boggling. But what I consider today is we have a job that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Yes? 
And so what, what we're looking at is until 7.7 billion people around the world are professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what? We have work to do. There is more yet to be accomplished. But what I think about is I, I rejoice in the Billy Grahams and the Reinhard Bonkies. We celebrated Brother Bonkey's homegoing just a couple months ago. And at 79, just a few months shy of 80 years old, did you know that Brother Bonkey led 79 million people to the Lord? That's about a million a year if you think about it. But I did the math. Did you know that it would take it would take 96 Reinhard Bonkies being active and leading a million people to the Lord every year for 80 years in order to see the Great Commission fulfilled? Let me say what I just said again. It would take 96 Reinhard Bonkies leading 1 million people to the Lord every year for 80 years in order for us to see the Great Commission fulfilled. But did you know there are 2 billion professing, it's actually 2.2, but some of those are prodigals, so we'll just say, let's say that there were 2 billion Christ-professing believers on the face of the earth. That's, that's what the statistics are. Do you realize that if those 2 billion people made it their life goal, really what it comes down to is about four people to fill in right the other seven. Uh, if, the, if they would make four disciples, then our job would be done. I want you to think about this. It would take bonkies over a, a nearly a hundred years to see the Great Commission fulfilled. But if the people of God. I mean, how many of you think that even if I said in the next five years, I want you to influence four people to believe in Jesus Christ, get them to a church service, get them saved, get them in a Bible study. How many of you think I could get four people to come after Jesus uh, in the next couple years? If every believer on the planet would say, I'll lead four people to Jesus, I'll make it my commitment, our job would be done. You know what this is? I love the bonkies, man. I love those massive meetings. I love seeing millions of people swept into the kingdom in a moment. But I'm telling you, there's a reason that Jesus said, he said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and hold evangelistic campaigns. As much as I love and even believe in those things, he said make disciples. Because you'll see it is the most effective way that we can see the kingdom of God released into the earth. How is it that Jesus could take 12 people and turn the world upside down and influence it to such a capacity that it's still impacting the world today. What I want to talk about this morning is the Jesus model of discipleship. The Jesus, everybody say the Jesus model. And I'm going to challenge each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, to begin to implement this in some capacity in our lives. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some math, so I want you, you, for real, take out your calculator right now. And this is really cool. You take your Bible in one hand and your calculator in another. We're going to do some math today because I'm going to teach you something. How many of you like math? Okay, how many of you hate math? Okay, me too. I joke with my kids. That's the reason that I became a pastor, so I wouldn't have to do math. But I'm preaching using math today. Now, let me, let me teach you something. In, 
in Jewish tradition, what they would do when the rabbis would begin to teach, they would practice what they call havruta. Everybody say havruta. Now, if you're taking notes, that's spelled H-A-V-R-U-T-A, havruta. And what, the, what a rabbi would do is they would gather a group of individuals of about 10 to 15, somewhere within that range, 10 to 15 individuals. And that group of 10 to 15 would break up into discussion groups of two. You trekking with me so far? You get 10 to 15, they each break up into groups of two. So what the Havruta group would do is the rabbi would teach all 10 to 15 and then they would break up into groups of two to discuss what the rabbi had taught them, right? Iron sharpening iron. This is where we get this concept. Now, Jesus fit this model exactly. In fact, this is how he discipled. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. That's somewhere between 10 and 15, correct? And then what he would do is he would teach them, and then they would break out into groups of Two. And you'll, you'll see, in fact, that the Apostle Paul did the very same thing. Do you know how many disciples are recorded that Paul personally discipled and poured into that are named in Scripture? Any wild guesses? Twelve. That's a good guess. That's correct. Paul had twelve disciples. Now, there's something to this. Jesus used this system. He started with twelve men. He would pair them up by twos, and you can see this reflected often. You see James and John are always named together, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder. You'll see Peter and Andrew are always named together as brothers. And so there's a number. We get this idea that Jesus would group them up by pairs of two. So are you ready for math now? Here we go. What is 12 divided by two? Okay, so now we have 12 or now we have six discipleship groups. You guys with me so far? Okay, because this is going to get more complicated. What they would do at this point is they would say, okay, now 12 disciples, six groups. You're going to go and make 12 disciples. So what is six times 12? 72. Hmm. Where does this go? Where are you going with this, Pastor? You're going to see. Look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them, watch, two by two to every town and place he was about to go, saying, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that they send forth laborers. How many disciples did he send out? 72. And how did he send them out? You see in this process already, huh? Now watch this. Oh, this gets better. So let's take 72. What is 72 divided by 2? 36. Now, now watch this. Now pay attention because guess what? The, the original 12 or 6 groups are also still a part of this. They're not off the hook because now they've done this. So what's 36 plus 6? Okay. Okay. Our accounting department is the only one who's still with me on this. 42. What is 42 times 12? I told you to get your calculator out, 42 times 12, 504. Does that number sound familiar to anybody? Look at this. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is crazy. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm going to inspire you through math. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, 
says that when Jesus was resurrected, he presented himself to his disciples. Does anybody know how many disciples he presented himself to? 500. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. Now let's do it again. Take 500 disciples and divide it into groups of two. How many do you have? 250, thank you, accounting department. Yeah, they're still with me. You have 250, and now you 250 groups of two, go make 12 disciples each. So what's 250 times 12? 3,000. Where do we see that number in Scripture? On the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 were added to the kingdom of God. Now, does it work again? It works again. Watch this. If you take 3,000 and you divide that by two, what do you have? 1,500, 1,500. Okay, now you 1,500 groups of two. You go and make 12. What do you have? 18,000. You see how rapidly this is expanding. In Acts 4.4, the Bible records that this is the last recorded number that we have of any group of, uh, any meeting of believers that was together. It says that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. Now, if you were to take, if I mean, the average family is four, what does that put us at? 5,000 men, you bring in their families, what do we have? 20,000. That's pretty close to the 18,000 that we get with our math, isn't it? Are you guys trekking with me on this? I mean, the next place that we see where it even references anything is in Acts chapter 5 and four, verse 14. It says, nevertheless, more and more were be they believed in the Lord and they were added to their number. So after 20,000, they began to lose count and they just said, a lot of people are getting saved. I want you to think about this for a moment. I'm painting a picture using math in the Bible ship. You know what the, uh, the Bible ship, math and the Bible. And here's what the picture is. Discipleship works. Discipleship works. Do you realize that our church right now, just between our first and second service, we've been averaging between 240 and 250 between our two services. We're right within that same place uh, where, where Jesus was, kind of in this middle tier. If we were to take 250 and multiply that by 12, do you realize we could be running 3,000 by next month? If we all grasp the reality of all of us went and said, I'm going to do the Jesus model and make 12 disciples. Now, I mean, and I'm not saying that that ought to be our goal, 3,000 by next month. Now, doctor would be real happy if we did that. But, but, but realistically, 12 might be a lot. But you just imagine if every leader determined in this church, every ministry, every life group leader determined, I am going to get five into my group. I'm going to get five into my ministry. I'm going to get five into my life group. I'm going to get five to come to the youth meeting next week. I'm going to get five. You imagine if just even a handful of people grabbed hold of this, how the church would begin to multiply. Now, I will point out here, you'll notice that if, if everybody decides to go after the same dude, hey, Joey's new to the church. Let's all get Joey to come. Joey, come help us with the youth ministry. Hey, Joey, come help us with the bus ministry. Hey, Joey, come. Filipino ministry and Tongan ministry and Marshallese ministry. You understand that only counts as one. 
And the fact of the matter is we got some Joeys floating around the church that have been in life group for 10 years, and it's time for Joey to start his own life group. But who's Joey? I'm just making that up. We don't have any. I, I chose Joey because I don't think we have a Joey in our church. <laughs> and if we did, he's probably leaving now. So, uh, but Joey. Uh, so in Doctor's new book, this was, this was deeply inspiring to me. There was a quote from Dr. Morocco, and this is what he said. I want you to pay attention. He said, we encourage people to evaluate their life on the basis of how many disciples they have made. Doctor, this is a Dr. Morocco quote out of his new book. We encourage people to evaluate their life on the basis of how many disciples they have made. You want me to give you a good example on this? The world, the world was shocked this last week with the abrupt passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. And you know what's fascinating to me is I've looked, and boy, my, my social media, news, everything has been dominated by posts about Kobe, right? What's amazing to me is as I'm seeing all of these things, I don't think, now I may be wrong, but I don't think I've seen a single thing talking about his basketball record. I've not seen a single thing talking about, uh, you know, the house that he owned or the car that he drove. I haven't seen anything about what his net worth is or any, but you know what I have seen? The very same thing that you have, how much he loved his family, the type of father, the type of husband that he was, his generosity, things that he did, uh, uh, you know, caring for people who were less fortunate than he was. They talk about how he, uh, you know, I've been seeing clips about his motivational speeches and how he's inspiring people. I've seen a few things about uh, him quoting scripture and sharing his faith. And, and what, I, what I notice, even observing the life of, of Kobe and, and what it is that a week after his death, People are already looking at not what he did, but the people that he impacted. What did he do? How did he impact people? Because what matters in this life for every single one of us, whether you're a famous basketball player or whether you just work a, you know, an eight to five job, you're just a regular Joe, you understand what matters to each and every single one of us is how we impact other people. Especially as believers, we hold and we hold a strong conviction that it's not just this life that we're living for, but our life and our presence in other individuals will determine for some whether they make it into heaven for all eternity or whether they perish in hell for all eternity. Our lives matter so incredibly much. This is the primary reason that we are still on the earth. How come it is that the moment that we believe in Jesus, we're just not raptured and taken to heaven? Because we still have a commission to make disciples of all nations. And so to get specific here, I, I'm halfway through my time and I'm halfway through my sermon. I'm doing good. But Jesus, he selected 12. He broke them into twos. They did the same thing. But what did Jesus actually do? What was his process of discipleship? Because as I'm encouraging each and every one of us to, uh, to, to embrace the Jesus model of discipleship, well, what does that actually look like, Pastor? I've got three things for you. We are going to demonstrate, we are going to empower, and we are going to teach. I want you to say demonstrate, empower, and teach. 
Okay, let's, let's try that again. That's, uh, you guys trekking with me. I know the math probably turned a lot of you off. But uh, everybody say demonstrate, empower, and teach. Now, I'm going to work through the book of Luke, and I'm going to show you this. First is demonstrate. Jesus demonstrated. So in Luke chapter 4, you'll notice it begins Jesus. He, he begins his earthly ministry. He's just been baptized by John. And the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And in verse 14, he says that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, what was the first step in discipleship? demonstrate. Now, here's something that we need to consider. What can I demonstrate? Everybody ought to ask themselves, what can, in fact, I want you to ask yourself right now, what can I demonstrate? Yeah, right out loud. Say, what can I demonstrate? You know what Jesus demonstrated? He demonstrated the power of the Spirit. He was healing the sick. He was casting out devils. He was preaching good news with authority. In fact, you see that in verse 18 in in Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, meaning that's happening right now. And then you know what he does? I mean, I'll just give you some of the the Cliff Notes version here. But he closes the book of Isaiah, which he's quoting from. He immediately casts out a demon in that church service. And after church, he goes to lunch and he heals the waitress. This is just true. Look at verse 38. I'm serious. Verse 38 in Luke chapter 4, he says, He arose from the synagogue. He left church. He entered Simon's house, but Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she arose and served them. Well, after church, he goes, to, he goes out to eat. And he heals the waitress, praise God. And so, uh, so Jesus is demonstrating, and by sunset of the very same day, <clears throat> in verse 40, it says, all who were sick, all who had diseases, they brought to Jesus. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons came out of many, crying and saying, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. Everybody say, demonstrate. Jesus didn't just preach. He didn't just read the prophet Isaiah in the house of God and then have a nice day. No, he immediately cast out demon, began healing, and then he had a home meeting where he was healing the sick and casting out devils. And and now you you might be thinking, well, pastor, I've never healed anyone. I've never cast out a demon. That's okay. Do you know what demonstration can be for many of us? It could be we get into a life group and you realize, bro, you being a jerk to your wife. Let me demonstrate how to talk to your wife with love, right? You don't understand. That is discipleship. I'm going to demonstrate how you can love somebody, okay? You demonstrate what you have. And listen, you have something in your life that's worth demonstrating. Every single person, I say without reservation, there is something in your life that God has put in you, that God has grown in you, that is worth demonstrating. Jesus had power 
to demonstrate. And it flowed out of a dry season of great spiritual attack. We see that. He spent 40 days in the wilderness attacked by the devil. And so some of you, think about the trials and the difficulties, the seasons of spiritual attack. You have some stories to tell. Do you know that? Every one of us, we've got stories to tell. I've experienced poverty, but by the grace of God, I'm still here. Right? I've had struggles in my health, but by the grace of God, I'm still here. You understand that people who are struggling in their health today will be encouraged to know that God has brought you through a season like that. I used to struggle in my emotions. I used to struggle in my marriage. I've had death in my family. Whatever it may be, you have something that the Lord has been faithful and brought you through. And you can say, God has been good to me. And this is what the Lord taught me through that. That's a demonstration. You trekking with me so far? The discipleship can simply be watch how I pray. Watch how I ride a motorcycle. I'm gonna, I want this year, 2020, we're going to start a motorcycle ministry. Hallelujah. And, uh, and I'm, some of you, I'm going to have to teach you how to ride a motorcycle. All right? Minister Rylan. Oh, he said moped. Okay. So, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, somebody could be, you want to know, like, I, I worked with Emery and Kevin Akiona and a number of guys building the set for Hell House. I haven't done a lot of that kind of stuff, but the challenge has come. I'm, I think within these next couple weeks, I'm going to have to build a wall and frame in a door. And I think because I was allowed to participate with Emery, with Brother Kevin, and some of our construction men, I think I, think I could do that. Why? Because they demonstrated it for me, and, and, and we get to, you know, I'm going to get to build a wall. Hallelujah. You know, I was given this, this great privilege uh, uh, from, from Steve Hill, and I remember, uh, I, I remember when he would, you know, when he had decided that, yes, he would disciple, he would mentor me. Uh, I remember there would be random times we'd be in service, and it mostly happened on Saturday. We had a Saturday night service, and these were the like the the blowout Holy Ghost kind of meetings, right? And so I just remember I'd be sitting on the front or second row, and he's like way off on the other. This is a large church, and he, Jacob, Jacob, where are you? And I'd go run over, and uh, you know, and I'm just you know I'm like 18, 19 years old. I'd run over, and uh, he's like, come here. And he would just have me. And, and, and what would happen is he would then begin to lay hands on people during the altar time. And I would wonder, what am I doing? All he did was call for me, and I'm just standing there next to him while he's laying hands on me. He didn't even ask me to catch for him. In fact, the first time he called me, that's what I thought he wanted me to do. But then the ushers start pushing me out of the way, and no, you're not here to catch. And so I just, I guess I'll just follow the man of God. I realized today what he was doing was demonstrating. This is how I operate in the power of God. This is how we release the miraculous. Because we'd have moments then after the prayer time was done where he'd grab me and he'd say, now you be sure to pray for people in your meetings. Yes, sir. You know, and so he would demonstrate. Now the second part of this is empower. Everyone say empower. The next thing that happens, you look at some of the headings as we continue through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus 
calls for fishermen in chapter 5, right? And then he heals a leper. He heals and forgives a paralytic. I mean, he's teaching them. He's demonstrating certain things to them. In Luke 5, 16, he teaches him, get alone with God and pray. Let me demonstrate to you how to forgive. Let me demonstrate to you how to multiply food. Let me demonstrate to you how to fast. Let me demonstrate to you how to, how to rest in, uh, in Luke 6. And it goes on and on. And in Luke 6, Jesus appoints his 12. And he's demonstrating various things. He's teaching them. He's preaching until chapter 9. And he, it says that he called his 12 together. And this is what he said. It says he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So pay attention. He demonstrated power, authority, cast out demons, heal the sick. I've demonstrated the preaching of the kingdom. And then he gathers his 12 and he says, now you guys go. I'm empowering you to do what I have done. And everything changes at this point in time. No longer is it watch me do it. Cheer for me, gather the crowd. No, now it's you go do it. I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you the power. And everything shifted. You want to know how this is, I mean, this is so crazy. Look at chapter 9, and this is just mind-boggling. What does your heading in, in chapter 9 and verse 10 say? Feeding the 5,000. I'm going to show you something that maybe you've never seen in this. Jesus, in this occasion, has been preaching all day. He's been healing all day. And finally, the disciples come. Some scholars think that he was probably preaching around five hours. We're going to try that today. Uh, I'll get you. No, I'm just kidding. So Jesus is preaching all day. And they said, Jesus, listen, it's, it's been a long day. You need to send the people home so that they can eat. And look at verse 13. Watch what he said. Jesus, send them away. They need to eat. And Jesus says, empowering, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they say, well, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. Uh, Essentially, we got two fish sandwiches, Jesus. That's about all we're good for. And so look at this, verse 16. This is, again, Luke chapter 9. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. How many did Jesus take? Five loaves and two. I'm just making sure you're with me. Jesus has five loaves, two fish. He looks up to heaven. He blesses the five loaves and two fish, and he gave them. What did he give them? Five loaves and two. He gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. They all ate and were filled. Twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Let me ask you a question. In whose hands did the food multiply? In the disciples' hands. It wasn't in Jesus' hands. Now, Jesus, with the feeding of the 4,000, demonstrated to them, I can multiply food. But after he empowered them just earlier in this very same chapter, now everything changes. And he's like, it's not my job. I'm going to pray for the food. You guys feed them. You multiply the food. This is incredible. Do you know 
that as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you have been empowered to do the very same things that Jesus Christ did in this life. <laughs> Going back to my discipleship. So, so let me tell you what my relationship with Steve Hill. I remember when things changed. There were two things that happened. I think, if I remember correctly, on the very same night before service, I was using the urinal. This is a true story, and I, I promise, lay my hand on the Bible, I promise this is a true story. I was standing at the urinal right before service. I won't describe it any further than that. And in the urinal right next to me, I feel somebody walk in. Now, if you're, if you're an honorable man, you don't look at the person that's next to you. But all of a sudden, I hear the voice of my spiritual father, Pastor Steve. He says, Jacob. <laughs> Uh, yes. He's like, I've been thinking, I want you to preach on a Sunday morning. And he gave me the data. You're going to preach on Saturday night. And you're going to preach on Sunday. It's the first time that he asked me to preach in a urinal. Okay. Promise. I'm promised. That's how it happened. And so great. Well, that same service that night, we're there. And again, in the altars, prayer time is going on. Jacob, where's Jacob? Uh, okay, I come and run across the, the stage, and I go to Pastor Steve, and I, I just think we're going to do the same thing that we did before. I'm going to stand by you while you pray for people, and God's going to touch them. Instead, he leads me over, and there's this group of girls, like 12 or 13 girls, and they're all like in volleyball uniforms. And he says, Jacob, all of these girls just recommitted their lives to the Lord. He's like, I want you to tell them what they need to do so they can live a life that honors God. And then he walks away. Like, why didn't you give me like one man or something to begin with? You give me all. It's, but, but that's what he did. And so you know, you know what he was doing? He was empowering me. He empowered me. And you know, you want to know how you know if you're empowering somebody? You know that you're empowering somebody if they can embarrass you or if they can hurt you by what you're trusting them with. If you just give somebody something safe, well, I just want you to sit in here and sort these papers. You understand? That's not empowering. But when you say, I want you to lead this person to Jesus. I want you to start a life group. I want you to lead this ministry. I want you to represent me at such and such an event. I want you to stand behind this pulpit and preach a message. I want to give you a microphone so you can lead people. And that's empowering. And each and every one of us have the opportunity to empower other individuals. It's our desire more than anything. My heart and my longing as a pastor is to equip people for the work of ministry. That's why I get so excited that Kaleo's going to start a life group. That's why I get excited that Emery's going to start a men's group on Thursday. That's why I get it. What is that? That is empowering. These guys could damage the reputation of me. Of this, of this church, but I will empower them because you know what? That's what Jesus did. And here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Number three, we will teach. Everybody say teach. So we demonstrate, we empower, and we teach. Now, listen, pay attention. I didn't mess up the order here. If you look at how Jesus did his ministry, Jesus would cast out demons. Then he empowered, Luke 9, his disciples to go and cast out demons. And then in Luke chapter 10, 
You see the process, right? We're, we're, we're progressing through this. Jesus demonstrates. He empowers him. And then in Luke chapter 10, when the 70 return, they said, even demons are subject to us, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He begins to teach them. You want to know why that worked? Do you want to know why you were able to cast out demons? And then he says, this is Luke 10, 17, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Spirits are subject to you because they are subject to your God. Rejoice, not because demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Essentially, he was saying, you want to know why you have authority? It's not because you're so special. You have authority because you're saved. And when you're saved, when your name is written in heaven, you have the very same authority that I did. And I watched Satan fall from heaven. I watched him. We have victory over him. He taught them. Similar thing we talked about just a couple weeks ago. Jesus, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And he told him, you need to fast and you need to pray. He's teaching them. This is why it didn't work on this occasion. Deal with the sin. Deal with your lack of faith. And you'll see this all the time. Jesus would present a parable, and he would demonstrate the power of that parable. And later, while they're sitting around the campfire, Jesus, tell us about the parable of the talents. Jesus, teach us what you meant when you said this to the Pharisees. Jesus, teach us about, about this and that. The Bible says that Jesus would speak to the general crowd always in parables. But he said to his disciples, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of God. He would demonstrate. He would empower them. And then he would teach them. This is why it worked. This is why it didn't work. I'm bringing this home. Minister Ryland, would you come? We're going to close. In coming weeks, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a disciple. It's like, how, how did I get the sort of relationship I did with Pastor Steve? There's some things that I've done in my life. It's the reason I've gained influence with Dr. Morocco. Is the reason I, I, I have friends like Cindy Jacobs is because God has taught me certain things about pursuing discipleship intentionally. And I'm going to talk about how we can be disciples. And I'm going to talk about how we can make disciples. Are we living a life that's worth duplicating? But what I want to do this morning, just as we close in these last moments, is I want to challenge you to begin to examine your own life. And what are some strengths that are on the inside of you that are worth duplicating in other people? What are some things that God has done in you that other, and I'm not, I want you to understand, this is spiritual, but this is also in the natural, right? I want prayer warriors to teach people how to pray. I want good preachers to teach people how to preach. I want people who are gifted in healing and prophecy to demonstrate, equip others to do that same thing, and then teach them. I want that. But you understand, I, I also want good mothers to teach not-so-good mothers how to be a great mother. Your child is fussy. Let me teach you how to birth your baby. That's discipleship. You know, it sounds small, but I need, I need some of our people. We've got some retired professionals in this church. And you've got a lot of money. And we've got some young and up-and-coming managers and leaders in the secular world who need 
your counsel. These are the sorts of investments you should be making. These are the kinds of employees you should be hiring. Here's some leadership materials that really help me get my business off the ground. That's discipleship. I'm not just talking about healing ministry and casting out. Those are things I'm passionate about. I could teach you how to cast out demons and heal the sick. And, right? and so that's why I give those examples. But you have gifts. You have abilities. You have things that the world desperately needs to hear and receive. And what I'm going to do, my wife had this idea. I'm going to pray that this morning God would begin to speak to us because I know oftentimes we could go around this room and some of you could tell, I'm a servant, I'm a leader. And you could tell me all about how great you are and what God is. And I know there's a lot of you that you're not in that place. What I'm going to ask is that the Lord would begin to reveal to you the treasure that is on the inside of your own life. Because by the end of this series, what we're going to do, I'm going to lay out a challenge. We're even going to create commitment cards preparing you for this. We're going to create commitments cards, and you're going to say, Lord, in 2020, I am determined. I'm going to raise up five disciples. I'm going to raise up 12 disciples. I'm going to raise up two disciples. I'm just going to make one disciple who I'm going to deposit something of value in my life into that person. We're going to do that at the conclusion of this series in just a few weeks. But even right now, we're going to begin to pray that the Lord begin to reveal to us the treasure in our life. Amen? I want you to stand. I know I'm past my time, but... Did this encourage anybody? Does this help you out? It's possible when you think about it. I want you to lift your hands to heaven right now all across this room, and I'm going to ask the Lord's grace to come upon each and every one of us. Lord, I, I just thank you for your hand over our lives. Thank you, Jesus. You have you've created us with gifts, with talents, with abilities, with wisdom, with knowledge, with experience. And there's things of value on the inside of us that, Lord, there are people around us both in and outside the church that they desperately need. And God, I just pray that even today, you would begin to speak to us, that you would begin to move upon our lives and begin to reveal the great value of what you have put on the inside of us. Mighty God, I pray that you would begin to reveal the treasure and reveal the gift. You said in your word that we were to love the Lord our God. We were to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Teach us how to value ourselves. Teach us how to value the gift of God that's on the inside of us and to know I have something that's worth reproducing in another person's life. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? Reveal things. Give us dreams throughout this week. Set up divine appointments. Make us aware that your hand is on our lives and you desire to do things in us and through us. Put your hands down. One more thing you need to pray about just before we close. When I saw that news about Kobe Bryant, I tell you my heart was deeply stirred, as I'm sure many of you were. It was a shock when anybody leaves prematurely in this life. His daughter, I mean, I still pray for the wife and will continue to the other children. But where I rejoiced is when the same day I saw a pastor 
the Catholic minister, he got up and he says, Kobe and his family were in church that morning. They prayed, they participated in the service. And then I began to see, in fact, I heard a quote from Kobe, inspiring men, take up your cross every day, follow after Jesus. I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know the details of his life so intimately, but I am rejoicing that so far as I can tell, he had faith in our Savior, Jesus. And I want to be sure that every person within the sound of my voice has that same assurance that if today your life were required of you, if today the Lord were to return, do you have the very same confidence that you're right with God? You become united with Jesus Christ in his death. With every head bowed, every eye closed all across this room. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not confident that I'm right with God. I'm not sure if today was my day to meet God Almighty. I'm not sure that I would be welcomed into heaven. But I want to be sure. If you say today, Pastor, I want to be sure that, that the Lord is, that Jesus is my Savior, that what He did, He did for me, that my sins have been forgiven, and that my hope is in heaven. If that be you, nobody looking around between you and the Lord, would you just lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying for this morning? Yeah, I see you there. I see you there. I see you there. God bless you. Are there others? You say, Pastor, include me in your prayer. I see you there. God bless you. Are there others? Hallelujah. Would everybody just join me as, as we pray together? Pray right out loud. Dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me brand new. I give myself to you. I ask you, live your life through me. I believe you died for my sin. You rose from the dead. You're coming back one day. On the day I meet you, I will be ready. Help me live a life that honors you and puts you on display in a light that will inspire others to believe in you as well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well.